Hi, I am Andrew Kissick, and I'm going to be talking about love. Um, if you turn to First Timothy 6.10, please. And it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted it after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So it says here, we, do not, we should not love money. And then we should go to, or can you please go to 1 John 4, 7, and 8, please? And it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So it says we need to love one another. And then go to Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. And it says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto you, Thou shalt love the neighbor, thy neighbor as thyself, one on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So here it uh, says the first two commandments are to uh, love God and to uh, love your neighbor. And then go to Galatians 5.22. And it says... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So here it's saying the fruit of the Spirit, and the first one it mentions is love. Um, so, it's, so God thinks love is so important that he mentions it first. And then, so, then we need to go to, or can we go to Matthew 5.44, please? And it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So here it says we need to love our enemies. We don't just need to love like our neighbors or our friends. We need to even love our enemies. And then go to John 3.16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here, um, even though we are very sinful and we didn't obey God, um, he loves us so much that he'd, only, he'd give his only son. So we, and we need to love like God. I'm R.C. McElroy, I'm I'm McElroy, and can everyone please turn to John 3.16? For 
for God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He so loved us. God loves us so much. Um, and can everyone turn, now can everyone turn to 1 John 4.16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So God not only loves us very much, he also is love. And now can everyone turn to John, John 13, 34. It's a, it says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So right there he's saying that we love everyone just as much as he loved us. And he loves us very much. So what I'm saying is that we should love everyone as God loves us. I'm going to be talking about love today, and if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark 12:31. And it says, And the second is like this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So you should uh, love uh, your neighbor, you should love uh, your enemies. Even you should love someone you don't even know. And now uh, can you turn to Psalms 18:1? And it says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. So we should love God because God loved us. Uh, can you turn to John 3.16 now? And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us so much that he sent his only Son to die for us. And that's what I have.
If you have your Bibles, will you turn to John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Will you turn your Bibles to John 20, 29? And it says, now, it says, Jesus say unto him, Thomas, because, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed in me, thou hast be cut believed. Are they that seen heaven in earth? Heaven hath and ye yet have believed. If you have your Bibles, will you turn? Wait, now will you turn to Luke 2? It says, And it came to pass in those days that they went out utterly from Caesar Augustus, that all the world shall be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Will you turn to John 3.16? And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is love. That's all I have. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John 4, verse 8. This is a verse that I guarantee the majority of you guys are pretty familiar with. It says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Today I'm going to be talking about showing God's love. It says here, He that, knoweth not, or he that loveth not knoweth not God. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know God? Because most of you guys would probably say yes, obviously. That's an easy answer to an easy question, right? But like, if you really think about the question, do you know God? It should be able to be seen on your everyday life. If you know God, people should see it. It says, he that loveth not. If you're going around bad-talking people and, and just, I hate this guy, I hate this guy, this guy's he's weird, I don't like him, then uh, you're obviously not knowing God like you say you are. And then down in verse 10, it says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the prop propitiation for our sins. We don't have to learn how to love as human beings. It's something that we were born with, that God gave to us at a very early age. And if we need to learn how to love, the Bible show it shows us clearly how to love, because Jesus loves us. And it's pretty simple to love, because it's, e like, it's one of the easiest things to do, because, I mean, we're humans. We can love people, like, obviously. But God sent Jesus to this earth to be crucified for us, and obviously you guys 
know about the crucifixion, crucifixion and what Jesus went through, the excruciating pain, the humiliation, and the courage and love that it took for Jesus to go through that. That's the kind of love that we should have for one another. In Mark 2, 15, verse 15 through verse 17, it says, It says, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We should love the lost. We shouldn't look at somebody that looks a little different or dresses a little different and be like, man, I'm not going to talk to you because you don't, you don't dress the same as me. You don't have the nice clothes like I have. You don't, you don't talk like I talk. We shouldn't do that because Jesus, literally Jesus, the only perfect person to ever walk on this earth, sat with publicans and sinners. That's pretty incredible if you ask me. And then last but not least, in John 13, verse 35, it says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The Bible doesn't say, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you talk really good, if you go to church every Sunday morning, if you're really nice to, the, to your neighbor, if you, if you pass out a track at work every once in a while. It says, by this may all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The most important people for us to love are the people that are around you, the, the Christians that are on the same team as you guys. There's no need for the bickering back and forth that'll cause division in our churches, and, and like if we bicker with another church, then that's causing division in our towns, and there's no need for that. That's what Satan wants. If you want to show that you really know God, show that you love him, show that you love the lost, and show that you love one another. If you will, please turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter number one. I'll read verse number eight. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I would like to preach to you a message tonight entitled, How to Support Missions Biblically. How to Support Missions Biblically. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening, Lord. I thank you for the people who decided to be here in your house. And I pray that you will please give me the words you would have me to say, Lord, and help me not be nervous, Lord, and to just preach the word, Lord. And I thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Corey Dimpoon once said, a person is either a missionary or a mission-filled. Which one are you? A missionary or a mission-filled, which one are you? And a lot of times it's um, sometimes it's hard to see, but a lot of times I think we end up being a mission field because we're living like the world and we're being like the people around us. A sad fact is there is more missionaries being sent to America than America is sending out to other places. That's sad. America was literally founded on the Bible. It was founded on religious freedom. There was people that, godly men and women who moved here literally just for religious freedom. And we have people coming here to witness to us because we're so cold to the gospel. 
all missions start in our Jerusalem. So we need to start here. Before we start thinking about missions as being a farther place or a different country or somewhere else, we need to focus right here where we are, Jefferson City, Missouri. And for me, Hold Summit. We need to be a witness everywhere we go right now. So how can we support missions biblically? First of all, we have praying for missions. Praying for missions. Matthew 9.38 says, Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Sadly, nowadays, we're losing laborers every single day. Every single day. There's becoming more people we need to reach than laborers to go reach them. So before we start praying for them, we need to make sure that we're being laborers ourselves and we're being faithful to God and that we're serving him. But how can we be praying for missions when we aren't being a light or witness ourselves? Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I love that part where it says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I know good works doesn't give us salvation, but it's a light. It's a testimony to others that we are living for God and that we have that peace and we have that happiness for him. A lot of times it's easy to think of missions as a foreign place, like I have to be sent to be a missionary. But our mission field starts now and starts here, where we are currently. As a lot of people say, our Jerusalem. If you read again in Acts 1.8, it says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when I read this passage, I really think the order is important here because it doesn't say the uttermost part of the earth first. It says Jerusalem first. Before we go reaching somewhere else, we need to reach where we are now. If, if we can't be a witness when we go out to eat or walk into the store, then how do you expect to be able um, to go somewhere else that is more hardened for the gospel and have, enough, and have enough boldness to do it there? Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, I love sports. I know a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of you in here love sports too. And when I see this, I see he that winneth souls is wise. And when I play sports, what's the main goal of mission? It's to win. That's baseball, basketball, football, anything. I want to win in whatever I do. And so in our spiritual life, we need to look at it like that, as we need to accomplish something for the Lord. We need to be winning souls and reaching others for him. And now the second way we can support missions biblically is pra by practicing missions. If you will, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, this is a verse that always comes to my head when I hear about missions being preached. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every single, or every creature. A century ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the returning ticket. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. As they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, everything they knew. They knew they would never return home. A.W. Milne was one of these missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had mur martyred every single missionary before him. Milne did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years he lived among that tribe and loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this epitaph on this tombstone. Now listen here. When he came there, when he came there, there was no light. But when he left there, there was no darkness. What a testimony. I want to have that testimony in my life. I want people to see when they say Jason Wynn that he's a light and he's an example of Jesus or how we're supposed to live for him. And so what's a way we can practice missions? In our actions and lifestyle. 
First Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, if you notice there, it says a peculiar people. That's what we are as Christians. We are set apart from this world. We are not to act like this world. We're not to be like this world. We're not to follow the agendas of this world. We're supposed to be set apart and living a higher standard than anybody else in this world. As the quote says, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And that's a very true statement. We can't be a witness in our everyday life if we aren't living in a way that represents Christ. The word Christian literally means little Christ. We need to have a Christ-like mentality and serve him in a way and live for him in a way that pleases him. Another way we can practice missions is by being in our faithfulness. How do we be faithful? In the little things in our Christian walk, first of all, like reading our Bible and praying. And then another way is by just being simply faithful to church and being a witness wherever you go. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the siblings of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. I don't know about y'all, but church is my favorite day of the week. It's every Sunday morning and every Sunday night is my favorite time of every week. We should be in church every single Sunday, not just, or imagine you go and witness to somebody and give them a track from your church. Well, they read the track and they see Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Well, they come to your church service and you're not even here. Like, what kind of example is that, you know? So we need to be faithful in our church service. And also, because I enjoy fellowshipping with people, other believers. You're around coworkers that are probably of this world. You're in school of people who probably don't love God. But one place we know people will love God is in church. Or it should be that way, at least. And then finally, Jesus is coming soon. We are no lo longer looking for the signs. We are listening for the call. If we don't have a zeal or a passion for the Lord, it will be too late, and the blood of the people we could have reached will be on our hands. Let's be all in right now. Let's give him everything we have before it's too late. We need to finish well as we be a witness and a missionary for him. I'm very thankful for this opportunity. Um, I've had a lot of opportunities to preach recently. Brother Preston came to me a few months ago and asked me if I would preach for the basketball guys. And he came, he came to me and he said, would you meet me um, after church on a Sunday night and go over, I want to talk about a basketball ministry. And I said, you want to talk to me about a basketball ministry. And so I ended up, I went to the meeting. It was, it was really, really good. I loved the burden that he had for this. And I said, Brother Preston, I can't coach, I can't ref, I said, but if you want me to preach, I can preach. And that's, that's what I'm learning to, to know how to do, and that's, that's what I'm doing my best at, and it's been a blessing to be able to do that these last um, six weeks. The four young kids, other than Toby and Jason, were all some of the kids that I taught to, and my third or fourth message that I preached to them, I, it was the feeding of the 5,000, and the main point that I wanted to get across was Give what you have to God. And these four boys, I mean, they're, they're showing that. They, I mean, and it's not about me. It's not about, it's not about you parents that are teaching that. It's about God. And that's, I mean, a round of applause for them. I mean, it's, it takes a lot to get up here. Very, 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 very proud of these boys. Um, I grew up, and I was their age preaching some of the first times I preached, and the older guy would always get up and be like, oh, I love these young guys, and, and I always, as the young guy, was like, oh, he's just saying that, but it, it genuinely is such an encouragement to see all these young guys stick into it, 
I mean, every time there's an opportunity, Drew Kissick is up here, and, 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 and these other boys are starting to follow his example, and it's just, it's really cool. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask that you would turn to Exodus 21. I had three messages that God gave me to preach. I have never run into this, to this obstacle before. Usually I'm trying to put together a message, and I'm like, what, okay, okay, I've got one. This is what I'm going to preach. I have three tonight, and I'm not preaching all three of them for sake of time. Um, preacher this morning, I, I went to him after Sunday school, and I said, what do you do when you have two or three messages that you know God wants you to preach at some point, but you don't know when he wants you to preach them? And he said, just listen, listen to the songs. And up until about 30 seconds ago, I didn't know which one of these three sermons I was going to preach. And then the, the, the youth choir special and the, the girl special really nailed the head on the coffin, or however that saying goes, and it, it definitely showed me what I needed to preach. So if I can find which pocket I put my notes in, we can get started. It says in verse number one, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou shalt buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, then the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity you've given me. Thank you for the, the young men that came up before me and preached what they felt led that you had them to preach, Lord. Thank you for calming their nerves. I ask that you would calm mine. Um, please arrest the attention of everybody that's under my voice tonight. Let them hear words from you and not words from me, Lord. Um, please bless this, this, the rest of this hour, and it's your my pray. Amen. I have an obsession with watching interviews when it comes to, you know, movies. I really like getting to know the actors outside of their character. This is somebody I'd love to see an interview about, this servant. I'd love to go to him, and I'd, I'd love to say, what made you stay? Six years you've been serving this guy. Seventh year, you can go free. He's entitled to freeman. Free, freeman, that's not a freedom. I'm an American. He's entitled to freedom in the seventh year, and he says, no, I won't go out. I think, it, I, think I can... Um, use this analogy, who here is retired? Who, raise your hand if you're retired. Everybody with their hand up is the happiest person in this room right now. I'm just going to say that right now. I'm 19. I'm looking forward to retirement. I cannot wait. <laughs> but, you know, I've had coworkers in the past that they'll come to me and they'll say, Eric, I've got 10 years left till I can retire. I've got five years left till I can retire. I've got one year, six months. They're counting down the days to retirement. They get to one month, and they say, you know what? I've got enough sick leave. I'm leaving now. And so many of them, you know, that's their last thought, and they're done, and they're getting those paychecks, and they don't have to work. And I wonder, why would this man, who's been working for six years for somebody, why would he not choose freedom? That's my question to you. Are you going to choose freedom, or are you going to choose faith? Set in freedom or set in faith? The first thing that I think this man would say if I said, what made you stay? I think he'd say, I have an incredible master. I have an incredible 
master. In, ver in verse 2, it says, If thou buy an Hebrew servant. This incredible master made an eager pursuit of this man. You don't buy things if you're a good steward with your money. You don't buy things just because you saw it for one second and you bought it. Most of the time, especially a big purchase, you're watching. You're finding something. This is what I want. I'm watching it. Oh, it went on sale. I'll buy it then. You know, you're watching it. You're making an eager pursuit of that thing you want to buy. And this master made an eager pursuit. It says, if thou buy an, he a, an Hebrew servant. Not only did he make an eager pursuit, he made an expensive purchase of this servant. We have a master that made an expensive purchase of us. He thought enough of us to die on a cross for us. Toby talked about the excruciating pain, the humiliation that he went through. The Romans yelling, king of the Jews, go ahead, get off. If you're the son of God, get off the cross. You say you can do it. He went through all that, and while he was going through all of that, you were on his mind. You were on his mind. He made an eager pursuit, he made an expensive purchase, and he gives us extensive provision. When this servant is with his master, back in, back in those times, it was legally required that the master fed the servant, that the master gave the servant a place to stay. This servant, I think, would say, the extensive provision that he gave, he gave me adequate food, he gave me abundant fortune, he gave me an amazing family, a wife and children. He gave me awesome fulfillment. I think that servant would say all of those things. I have an incredible master. He made an eager pursuit. He made an expensive purchase, and he gives me extensive provision. I think secondly, he'd say, I have an intense motivation. An intense motivation. In verse number four, it says, If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters... This master gave this servant a wife. Think about what Jesus has given you. Think about what your master has given you. But, but, but we as Christians want to choose freedom after we've served our time. This says that if you choose freedom, you've got to leave behind what your master gave you. Is it worth it to leave Jesus to also leave behind all that he gave you? He gave you breath. I'm just, I mean, that's not worth it to me. It's, it's sincere devotion. It's a sensible decision for that intense motivation. It says in verse number five, and if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master. It's not about what he gave you. It shouldn't be. It should not be about what God gave you. But we're, we're American Christians, right? When was the last time you prayed for something you can't see? When was the last time you prayed for something you can't touch? We as Americans, we say, God, I need this house. How am I, you know, I need my family to be, have a roof to stay under. When was the last time you said, God, give me wisdom so that I know the house to buy? God, I need this, this raise. I really need this raise. I need this new job. When was the last time you said, God, give me a better work ethic? So these higher-paying jobs will hire me. When was the last time you prayed for something you can't see or you can't touch? It's not about what God gives you. Do you know what the intense motivation is for this servant? 
if he shall plainly say, I love my master. That's the intense motivation. It's not about what he gave you. Yeah, the food's great. The master feeds me really well. I love the house I'm staying in. The master gave me a really, really comfortable bed. I enjoy the work that, he's ha that he has me doing. You know, I've been working with him for six years. So, you know, after three or four years, I, I got out of the nitty-gritty stuff, and I was able to, to have a clear path of, and, you know, easier work and, and the work that I wanted to do, that, God, that, that my master knew that I wanted to do. But that's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm choosing faith over freedom. It's because I love my master. If he will simply say, I love my master. I think, I think the servant would say, I have an incredible master. I have an intense motivation. And because of that, I'm willing to get an identifying mark. In verse number six, it says, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. I think a lot of Christians, when it gets to that point, we say, yeah, our master's incredible. I don't think anybody in here would say, no, I don't think Jesus is incredible. I don't think anybody in here would say that. I don't think anybody in here would say, no, I don't love my master. I don't have the intense motivation. But then it gets to the point where we need the identifying mark, where he says, he shall bring him to the door or into the doorpost, and he shall bore his ear through with an awl. Everywhere this man went, they knew who his master was. Is that what your life looks like? Everywhere you go, do people know who your master is? Everywhere you post, do people know who your master is? I preached this in the teen class this morning. It needs to be said. Is what you're posting an identifying mark of Christianity? You look at preacher's Instagram, you know he's a Christian. I've had people I know say, I'm going to follow a preacher because he posts too much. Okay, that's fine. He posts Jesus. He posts Jesus. The ASL classes that he posts, that's so that more deaf people can know about Jesus. Are your posts, does your Facebook page, does your Instagram feed, does it look like a Christian's Instagram feed? Is what you're searching for on those, does that look like, an, like a Christian's search? I guess that's too much for everybody here. I mean... Does it? And identifying Mark, I think a lot of servants get to that point and they say, no, I don't want people to see me as a Christian. And the master didn't say, hey, look at all that I've done for you. It was his own prerogative. It was his own prerogative. And because he made that decision, it was open publicity. He was openly his master's. Everywhere he went, he was his master's. And it says in verse 6, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. He said, okay, we went to the judges. Come here. I've got a hammer. I've got an awl. I've got a sharp instrument. I'm sorry, Miss Paulette. And he says, bring your ear. And he puts his ear on a door or on a doorpost. And, and he puts some obvious pain on this servant. When was the last time you took some obvious pain for Jesus? Do you not post Jesus because people will make fun of you? Do you not post Jesus because people will unfollow you? I take following Jesus over people following me on Instagram. And I think a lot of people wouldn't do that anymore. It seems like everywhere I go, Christian people are looking for freedom. 
everywhere I go. More than that, Christian young people. I talked to the teens this morning. I said, this man served six years. And in the seventh year, he was allowed to go free. So many of us serve 18 years. So many of us serve 18 years. We're drugged to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And if you don't think your master's incredible, if you don't have intense motivation, it's going to feel like you're being drugged to church. And then we serve our 18 years, three times more than this servant served. And we serve that time, and then we say, I'm going out free. I'm an adult. My parents can't tell me what to do. My pastor can't tell me what to do. There's no pastor pointing down at me. I stopped reading my Bible I don't know how long ago, so there's no Bible-thumping rules into my head. When was the last time you took obvious pain for your master? For that identifying mark that you're a Christian. Now, guys, I'm not saying to go get an earring. But when was the last... (laughs) Thank you, Andy. But when was the last time you took some obvious pain? I think he'd say... I have an incredible master. I have intense motivation. And I'm willing to take an identifying mark for that. Are you going to choose to be faithful? Or are you going to choose freedom? That's all that it is. That's my question. Can I tell you that not even in a roundabout way, if you choose faithful, you'll be a lot more free? If you choose faithful, you'll be a lot more free than if you choose freedom. I don't have any rules. I can go do whatever I want. That's freeing for a year. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. Sin was designed for us to enjoy it. Wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't. It's fun for a season. Freedom is freeing for a season. Faith is Praying forever. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm going to pray and then we'll. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity you've given me to speak the words that you've given to me. I ask that they were a blessing. I ask that they didn't fall on on deaf ears um, or deaf hands. Thank you for the opportunity you gave me um, to teach the kids basketball, and thank you for um, the faith that these young, the young six guys that were before me um, chose to show in you tonight. Um, Thank you for the opportunity you've given me. I don't take it lightly. Thank you for the listening that I got. Um, And I share my prayer. Amen.
Victor over death. 